Welcome to Iron Rhetoric with your intrepid host, Pastor Brett McAtee. Truth forever on the scaffold, wrong forever on the throne. Yet that scaffold sways the future, and behind the dim unknown, standeth God within the shadow, keeping watch above his own. Hello, good morning, good evening, good afternoon. In the words of Adrian Cronauer, I think that was his name. And- good morning, Vietnam! Yeah, uh, but this time uh, you have iron rhetoric, and I'm probably not as enlivening as uh, Robin Williams, although I could probably make a stab at it. Uh, we continue looking um, with this episode at R. Scott Clark's uh, hatchet job on Christian nationalism. Um, Matthew has uh, wisely posted his uh, the links where you can go that you can so you can see what I'm responding to. Um, I often will get this response. Matter of fact, I had somebody today say uh, say something to me the effect they read something I wrote where I quoted somebody, and they said to themselves, "No way! There's just no way that you know this person said that." And they went and looked up for themselves and. Yeah, way. Uh, he really said it. And I get that a lot because people just can't believe what's falling out of the mouths of the clergy these days. So you can go to the to the links that Matthew's provided on Iron Reddick to, to see what I'm responding to. Um, I used to, with Clark, just take his whole articles and fisk them, but I don't do that anymore. I just take the high points, the points that interest me. Um. This was uh, done back again uh, just three weeks outside of surgery, and just as Machen, though sick with pneumonia, was bound and determined to keep his word uh, to a church in South Dakota, uh, thus traveling there to preach and support a new Presbyterian work. Uh, So uh, Clark worked in me to lift myself out of my post-operative open-heart surgery rest and recovery regimen in order to answer the absolute inanities of both Clark and Kevin DeYoung on the subject of Christian nationalism. And <laughs> aren't you impressed? <laughs> so um, I, what I'm impressed with is, is how dumb uh, the Reformed clergy can be today. And I, I say that because the kind of things that DeYoung and Hart and Clark and Horton and Van Drunen and T. David Gordon, and Fesco, and I don't know how many there are. The kind of things that they're saying, that it's become the majority voice in the Reformed Church. Yes, there still are some that are trying to push back um, in Reformed clergy, but by and large, R2K has, has just swamped uh, the Reformed Church today so that our forebears, I'm telling you, I guess you'll have to take my word on it. We could have a whole show quoting our forebears, but our, our forebears wouldn't recognize uh, the Reformed Church today. They, they would say, I don't know what this is, but it's not Reformed. Um, but we will say that there's nothing quite so stirring and enlivening to one's spirit and health as to have the opportunity to lance like so many pieces of vegetable and beef on shish kebab, um, the non-Christian musings of highly functioning, lobotomized clergy. R. Scott Clark notes the desire of DeYoung to have, quote, some form of Christian nationalism, and then has the cheek to say that no one has ever answered his previous queries 
as to what modifies nationalism with Christian. Uh, Clark Eve, ever the intellectual autistic that he is, insists that, that no one has ever given him a coherent response to what it means to speak of Christian plumbing or Christian math. And all I can say here is that if he has seen no coherent response to this, it's because he's looking, as my dad used to say to me, with my eyes shut. Here's my response to that question from years ago. And it's not the first time I've answered this question for, for he who runs the Heidel fog. And if you go to Iron uh, Inc., um, you will see that there's a link there to getting to my article, not getting R. Scott Clark's inability to get the obvious. And I think Matthew will go ahead and link that uh, for us here. Um, but the reason I note that is that it's not true. It's not true when he says nobody has is, is ever told him what Christian nationalism is, what it means to have the nationalism modified with Christian. Um, again, this is why I say the man's being deceptive. Now, it's quite possible, I suppose, that he's never heard of Brett McAtee, although I know that's a lie because he's written stuff um, without using my name that is obviously pointed at me. Uh, but maybe somehow he missed the article on not getting R. Scott Clark's inability to get the obvious. But now he has no excuse. Also, if Ph.D. R. Scott Clark would read my book, um, he would see that I provide an answer for him again in, in, in that book in the chapter titled The Transformation of Culture. So either R. Scott Clark is lying when he says he's seen no co coherent response to his queries about how mass softballer nations can be Christian or else his worldview will allow him to see an answer that everybody else can easily see. Clark then insists that he's not a defeatist. Yeah, right. All I can do is offer that such a statement is a real knee slapper. Everything that Clark contends for in terms of his R2K social order project guarantees that Christianity will return to the catacombs. And I suggest that's what he wants. As I argue my book in the chapter titled Millennia, Militant on Millennialism, R2K's eschatology requires defeat. It requires defeat. Now, they'll end up playing with definitions. They'll end up being outraged, saying, well, how can you say that the Church of Jesus Christ is ever defeated? What's wrong with you? And I've, I've been down that road. Um, but again, they're, they're redefining terms at this point in order to fit with their worldview. Here I quote from my book um, about R2K eschatology, which is what's driving R. Scott, idiot, I mean Clark, um, here I quote from that book, the R2K eschatology is what I call militant amillennialism. The amillennial eschatology does not allow for the victory of the gospel and biblical Christianity in space and time in any place outside the church. In amillennial eschatology, the return of Christ is a return characterized by a church that is under assault and is greatly diminished in the world. Christ returns to rescue the church much like the U.S. Cavalry rides in to save an almost depleted Fort Custer as surrounded by the engines ready to make their final push to take the fort. The R2K amillennialists really believe this, and so it's baked into their eschatology. And because they do not believe that victory is possible in the broader culture, they have developed a theology under the tutelage of men like Van Drunen, Clark, Horton, Hart, T. David Gordon, James Fesco, and others that by definition 
does not allow for victory, except in a spiritual sense, which means not really. By creating a common square that, by definition, cannot ever be anything but common, the R2K amillennialist has created a self-fulfilled eschatology. Since, by definition, the public square cannot be anything but common, the public square cannot see the triumph of Christ in space and time in the public square. This is militant amillennialism. And because they're embracing the eschatology, they have a vision of defeat and retreatism in their theology. Clark next insists that all he's arguing for is a return to the American project, which, which means, in his view, the restoration of a secular government while pursuing a desire to reframe the classical reform distinction between nature and grace. Um, but even here, Clark is just plain wrong on what the American project is. Um, for example, consider Dan Fisher's reading his two volumes, uh, Bringing Back the Black Robed Regiment. Uh, consider reading David W. Hall's um, The Geneva, is it The Geneva Formation and the Founding of the American Republic, I think. Um, both books which which go into the fact that the American project was not an Anabaptist project as as Clark um, tries to keep insisting upon. Uh, we would note here that when Clark tells us that he desires to return to the American project, what he's telling us is that he desires to return to the vision of the Enlightenment crowd numbered among the founding fathers. This is a vision that affirms neutrality as seen the insistence that the state, as well as other national institution remains neutral when it comes to the issue of religion. Clark continues to not understand, and no power short of conversion can make him understand, that neutrality is a myth. Jesus himself said that he does not gather with me scatters. Jesus himself said that he who is not with me is against me. Jesus himself said you cannot serve two masters. Clark desires to serve Jesus' master while having a neutral state that does not serve Jesus as master. I mean, for Pete's sake, the guys faulted the, the governor of Oklahoma for having a Christian prayer. This is only not Christianity that Clark is pushing. This is, let's be frank, this is anti-Christ. This is anti-Christianity. Let it be said clearly that there's no such thing as a secular state government. If by secular you mean a state government that is ruling apart from a standpoint of religion, and ruling apart from some God or God concept. Clark's idea of secular is the idea that Roger Williams, he of Anabaptist fame, instantiated in Rhode Island. Our Scott Clark has more in common with Roger Williams than he does John Calvin. And if we're going to talk about the American project that Clark invokes, let's keep in mind that the First Amendment, where it talks about freedom of religion, was only limiting who or what institution. It wasn't limiting the states. It was limiting the federal government. The federal government couldn't tell the states you have to be Presbyterian, you have to be Anglican, you have to be congregational. The federal government was limited and handcuffed and chained down as it came to the issue of religion in the, in the states.
And the proof of that is, is that nine of the 13 colonies before the war had a state-sanctioned religion, and seven of the 13 after the war had a state-supported religion. So the idea that somehow the American Project includes making sure that nobody says anything, nobody in the political sphere says anything regarding religion, that's just utter nonsense, and it's a misreading of history, which Clark is famous for doing. And again, you have to ask yourself, and I've already mentioned it several times now, either he's dumb or he's disingenuous. And I, I, that's what you call a Hobson's choice. I mean, the, the options aren't very good for him there either way. Um, Clark next invokes the sainted Abraham Kuyper. Uh, Clark would be better served reading uh, Philippus Jacobus Hodemaker's critique of Kuyper on this score. And after Clark has finished reading Hodemaker, he can then buy a copy of William T. Kavanaugh's The Myth of Religious Violence. And from that work, he can learn that all this, all of his chicken little screaming about violence from Christian magistrates is just so much hooey. Uh, Kavanaugh spends, what, somewhat, something like 300, 350 pages uh, saying that this whole notion that uh, religion in the ma- with the magistrate and religion and government creates violence, Kavanaugh demonstrates that that's, that's just, that's just uh, propaganda uh, from the state who wants to be its own God. Uh, Clark then offers a real eye popper when he writes this, and here I'm quoting, as a historian, Clark will forever remind you that he's a PhD in in history. As a historian, I'm endlessly puzzled by the desire expressed by Stephen Wolfe and others for a return to to a state church. What do they imagine the outcome will be? They claim that it will get it right this time, though virtually all other attempts before them have failed. This reminds me very much of the Marxist claim that we should give that another run because the right people have not tried it yet, unquote. Now, I don't know if I should admit this or not, and I'm certainly just a shadow of the great historian R. Scott Clark, but I, too, was trained as a historian, though admittedly I never earned a terminal degree in the field. Though I must say if Clark is an example of a historian with a terminal degree, I, I thank God I never went on to get the terminal degree. History was one of my undergrad degrees, along with religion, philosophy, and political science. I took all the historiography courses. I examined the different schools of history. I read the heavy hitters. So a histor- as a historian myself, I'm endlessly puzzled by Clark's inability to see that a state church is an inescapable category. Our nation is covered with state churches, supported with state funds, manned by state-educated state priests. Somewhere in the vicinity of 90% plus of American children ages K-12 through attend these state churches being indoctrinated thoroughly with the state religion. And then they go on to the state religious universities, which are teaching much the same thing. Yet Clark is so jejun that he can suggest that we in America, and with a straight face no less, he can suggest that we do not have a state church. Now, in a de jure sense, no, we don't. But clearly, in a de facto sense, we do. It's amazing that Clark misses this. Clark complains that too many people are like Marxists, and yet the man can't see that our state churches pushes some one form or another of Marxism. Further, the man can't see that by his retreatist eschatology, that he's creating a vacuum that, guess what, fills in 
when he creates the vacuum of removing Christianity from the public square. That's right. The Marxism. The Marxism fills the vacuum that he's creating by insisting that Christianity should not be part officially of the public square. That Christianity can't be an adjective that provides descriptors for a noun like Christian education, uh, Christian law, uh, Christian arts, uh, Christian sociology, uh, and on down the line. So we say that R. Scott Clark and a whole hard 2K project, isn't it, isn't it providential that he likes the R? I wonder if R stands for Rudolph or, or Randolph or something, something <laughs> creepy. I don't know. Uh, but, but isn't it something that uh, he has that R with R2K? Radical Scott Clark. Yeah, there you go. Our Scott Clark's Christianity, we have to say, is completely novel, like the whole R2K pro- project. No Reformed person before uh, his intellectual forebearer, that is Meredith Klein, thought anything like this. As Dr. Stephen Wolf ha- has himself written regarding R2K, quote, Van Drunen, and Clark belongs to the school of thought, for example, revol- resolves the contradictions of traditional two kingdoms theology the theological system that affirms post-World War II norms of secularism, multiculturalism, and anti-nationalism. His political theology might rightly be called post-World War II consensus theology, and I suspect that historians looking back at it will conclude that his theology is highly historically conditioned, unquote. So if I might interpret Wolf here, what Wolf is saying is that uh, Van Drunen and Clark and others like them have a set of lenses on, and those lenses are crafted from the secularism, multiculturalism, and anti-nationalism that came out of World War II. And that itself, I would say, is uh, is an extension of the Enlightenment project. Um, that's the way that these people are reading their theology. They're reading their theology through that prism. And bless them, they are trying to reconstitute um, the Christianity of 1789. But you know what? The Christianity of 1789 in the colonies was a Christianity of Anglicanism and Congregationalism and Baptists and Presbyterians and Maryland Roman Catholics um, who were all, broadly speaking, even if some didn't recognize the others, broadly speaking, were all Christians. But that's not where we're at now, Scott. Uh, We're at a place now where we have uh, Muslims, we have have Jews, we have Talmudists. uh, We have everything that you can possibly imagine. And so that America is not going to be recreated unless you can find a way to export, uh, deport, I guess would be the better word, um, these people who are practitioners of something that doesn't even come close to corresponding to Christianity. And we all know what you would think about that. So uh, Van Drunen, guys like Van Drunen, I've said their names a million times. I don't mind repeating them. Uh, D.G. Hart, R. Scott Clark, my, Mark, Mike Horton, Sean Michael Lucas, Matthew Tuniga, David T. Gordon, and countless others are are spewing a theology that is perhaps it's perhaps 80 years old at best. 
Um, it's completely novel, and it's a theology that none of the reformers or their descendants would recognize as reformed. Yet despite this truth, that Calvin and Knox, um, that Buchanan, that the writer of Lex Rex, uh, Rex Lux, there we go, that uh, Vindicate Contra Tyrannus writer, that none of these reformers or their descendants would have recognized as, as being reformed. Yet despite the, the truth of, uh, of that, these posers are all over the place and social media, writing their books, uh, teaching in seminaries. They're screaming their ruddy heads off that they alone are orthodox. And all of us who are standing in, in, in the tradition of the reformed are, well, we're really heretics. Jesus refused to turn stone into bread, but these highly educated dunces have gladly complied. Yeah, I'm worked up about this. I think it's a destruction of the Reformed Church. I think it's a destruction of Christianity. And I think if these nincompoops keep going down the path they're going, that uh, it's going to get very, very dark out for those of you who don't like how dark it is already. And so this is a matter of, of great importance. And here I stand, and there are many others like me. I can do no other. God help us. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week. Look for us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Anchor FM. Don't you know she could bring a good feeling ain't had in such a long time? Save my life, I'm going down.